Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about Jesus' parable of the rich fool. Well, Scott, before we jump into our uh, conversation today with our, our two great students, um, I, I guess I heard something might have happened in St. Louis last night. You know anything about that? I do know. I know a lot about that. And what happened is the Cubs are the champions again. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time, I think, I believe, is the first time the Cubs have been in the playoff three consecutive years since 1906. Uh, there you go. This, this makes me believe in the millennium. <laughs> that Jesus may return and we need to get, oh, get right with Jesus, huh? Is that what it, you're saying? It has arrived. It even, has arrived. Even Kevin's happy about this, and he's a devout <laughs> Sox fan. I'm a Sox fan, but I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, <laughs> I, I can forgive people because we're winning. <laughs> when we lose, I don't. I'm not so forgiving. Yeah. Did it make it sweeter being in St. Louis? Uh, you know, I think the way the Cubs have handled St. Louis this year is just enough. Uh, yeah, we beat them down there, uh, and we pounded on them the first game, and last night was a clear beating of them. But uh, it, we, we're better than the Cardinals, and we have been for three years. Mm. So, you know, I, we're getting used to being better than the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> right. They're gonna well, have to. I, I want to tell my Cardinal fans they're gonna have to up their game to play in our field. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there you go. You heard it here on Kingdom Roots. Well, we've got some more important, probably things to talk about here. So, um, continuing in our series of our parable conversations about really just trying to um, distill down all that great research that that. Um, has been done on the parables and make it accessible. Such so such an important task for the church today. So I'm going to take it away, Scott, with what we've got for our listeners today. Yeah, we're going to look at the parable of the rich fool. You know, these are titles uh, that are in our Bibles. They're not uh, the titles of the parables themselves. Jesus didn't entitle his parables. He told stories and people could not get away from them because they grabbed them right in the core of their being. But someone in the crowd says to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What, a, what, an inv- what an invitation. One thing you learn about Jesus is never ask him questions because he's likely to, to uh, turn you inside out. So Jesus pushes back, man, who appointed me a judge or an ar- arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on the guard against all kinds of greed Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So this is how Jesus begins the parable. Then he tells the parable of the rich fool. And uh, it's a story of a rich man who had um, so much abundance in his harvest. He just stored it all up, built more barns, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then he's held account by God. So this is a, a classic parable. And I'm going to ask uh, both Kevin and Joe to make some comments on what they think the big idea of the parable is. Uh, we'll discuss a little bit about the Jewish background to this parable, and then we'll look about uh, we'll look a, a bit and we'll discuss a bit about how this parable 
uh, works itself into our world. And um, I want to say that our class uh, at Northern Seminary, a Master of Arts in New Testament, uh, spent last year in some of the free time examining parables of Jesus uh, and looking at <clears throat> looking at the parables from this idea that Jesus in parables is asking us, forcing us, pushing us into a corner to imagine our world in a kingdom sort of way, uh, to imagine a world like this. And this parable is fits perfectly into how Jesus teaches us to imagine the world differently than the world that we experience. And I've asked the students to write chapters, and Joe and Kevin wrote up a nice chapter with some very interesting angles from American history on, uh, on this parable. And so what I want to do is ask each of them, and I'll start with Kevin. And just say, you know, how do you, what do you think the big idea of this parable is? And then we'll turn to Joe, and Joe may very well say, I totally agree with Kevin, and that's fine too. So, uh, Kevin, I wonder how, how you see the big idea of this parable. What's Jesus trying to get us to imagine? Well, I, I'm thinking Jesus is trying to get us to imagine a, a world without um, uh, just people basing their life or life that does not consistent consist of just a, the accumulation of wealth and uh and just trying to uh gain status or you know that our we're not ba our values are not based on you know how much we have and in our life is not centered on those things um i'm thinking jesus taking us to a, a place where where we can almost be uh, freed from um, having to uh, feel like we're driven or per having to pursue these things. That these things are are the are that st steer our everyday lives. So our 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 mind should just be stuck on mm -hmm. uh, just the pursuit of um, stuff, the pursuit of things, the uh, pursuit of wealth, and we shouldn't place so much value on those things because. Um, you know, I, God will take care of the, God will supply, God will, uh, um, uh, meet, meet our needs. So that shouldn't be our, our worry, our concerns, our focus. And that's not who we are. Our wealth is not a mark of who we are. How much we have is not, um, who we, uh, the, the value of who we are, you know, it's not based on what we have. Um, we have value outside of that, or those things. And there's so much more to value beyond um, just our stuff. So that shouldn't be the, the, the center of our focus. It, you know, greed shouldn't drive us uh, to get more. So I, I think this is uh, um, is the, 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 the center of what Jesus is uh, trying us to get, uh, to get us to understand um, life, life with the father is um as opposed to life uh being driven by the uh, attainment of, of of possessions that's good you got into a little sermon there kevin that was pretty good <laughs> joe joe do you have anything to add to that yeah absolutely and just to kind of piggyback on what kevin was saying how life life with god um 
or life, um, you know, signifying or, or representing, uh, you know, my abundance in my relationship or my, my wealth, the wealth in, in the relationship that I have with God, uh, as opposed to material wealth. Um, the big idea, uh, Jesus makes makes this grand statement at the end of the teaching in verse 21. It says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, uh, but not have a rich relationship with God. Um, the big idea was really on what that person prioritized. He prioritized the blessings of God um, rather than the relationship of God. Um, he he prioritized, in, in other words, like the, the possessions um, had him. The possessions possessed him. Um, he stored up. He he put his trust in. He stored up what God had blessed him with, instead of um, storing up or or investing in his relationship and holding that to a higher standard, uh, far far over and above what he had, because because what he had came from God. Um, his land was blessed. There was no doubt about it. And and so instead of saying, you know what, Lord, you, I'm going to spend more time with you. I'm going to, um, you know, invest in you. I'm going to, uh, you know, if 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 it calls for me to give away these things or to to put those things aside to have more of you, um, then I'll do that, um, and I'll be rich in that. Um, but he saw himself as as being materially rich, um, and. And he he wanted to secure that, and in in holding on to that tightly, uh, he he lost it. Yeah. Um, God yep. in verse twenty said it, it said, but God said to him, "You fool, you'll die this very night." So the very things things that he was trying to hold on and secure, uh, maybe his livelihood or or those things that he saw that were important to him, um, he lost it. He held he held it so tightly that he lost it. You know, I, I read this week, Joe, that's good. I like, I, I'm going to, I'm never going to forget that line. You just said his possessions possessed him. Uh, I read this week that being secular is living life when there's nothing beyond this life or mm -hmm. living life as if there's nothing beyond this life. And so you could say that this uh, rich fool How'd you, how'd you like to go down in history as being known as the rich fool? The rich fool uh, had a purely secularized existence. He was living entirely for the day. You know, I was, as you were talking, Kevin and, and Joe, I got to thinking about the number of times Jesus takes um, a completely different approach than the rich fool's approach to possessions. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he lives... Uh, as if he has no home. I mean, living in Galilee in the first century is not exactly necessarily <laughs> comfortable. Right. Uh, but uh, he, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a cover over your head, and it's uh, some security in places. But when, when a man comes to Jesus and wants to follow him, he says, "You don't know what you're getting into here." He says, "The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." And he, he tells the disciples to go out on mission. And in the in the mission, they are to trust God to provide. He even, he even puts them to the deepest test. He says, I don't want you to take anything with you. No bread, no copper, no, no silver, nothing in your belts. 
No extra tunic so you can sleep or protect yourself with. No staff that you could knock away uh, Romans, I suppose, or crazy animals. Uh, he just says, I want you to trust in God. And, and he says in Matthew chapter six, six, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So he teaches his disciples to follow him in a way that is not driven by greed. It is not driven by possessions. Uh, it is not driven by a, a secularized life where you get all you can now because there's nothing uh, in the future. And, and I'm uh, one of the things that I've seen happen in my life. Uh, I'm 63. One of the things uh, that I've seen happen in my life is uh, a decrease of interest in heaven and a decrease uh, in interest in life beyond death. And a decrease in belief that though things are not good now, someday God will make things right. And in the in their place, there is a an increased interest in uh, uh, having more. Uh, Christians are wealthier today in the United States than they have ever been. Christians have more things. Pastors make more money. I remember my pastor when I grew up needed the farmers in our town to bring corn and beans and wheat. Uh, th this was very common for our pastor to need the, the benevolence of the farmers in our community. Today, pastors live in, uh, you know, uh, 20,000 square foot homes and they drive fancy cars and they have all kinds of budgets. Uh, life has changed. And um, Jesus lived in a way that unmasks our own wealth. And, I, and I, I don't know if you want to add anything from the Jewish context about what I've said. Uh, I, I added some stuff from Jesus, but I wonder if either of you wanted to add anything from the Jewish context that you discovered. I mean, you don't have to, but maybe some of you do. Well, you know, just the, the, the idea of just greed just being uh, common uh, with both the Jews and the non-Jews in the Greco-Roman subject. Yeah you know, on uh, instruction and just just that, that trilogy, tr trilogy of eat, drink, and celebrate, eat, drink, and being, being married, just being the, you know, just signifying a person's, a person's greed and just how, as you, you always spoke to, how Jesus um, just kind of flips that on his head, you know, flips the idea of uh, just possessions and having things and Eat, drinking, and being merry, and just sitting back um, in your own comforts. You yeah. know, Jesus puts that puts that on his head, and and say, you know, as you you pointed out, you know, you know, go what you don't, you know, understand what this is about. Understand what this this um, the kingdom is about. Is is yeah. not a yeah. trust your stuff. Yeah, Joe, you, know? you have anything you want to add to that? Um. Yeah. I. I, I, I I was looking at um, Snodgrass, his early Jewish writings, um, CD-A6.14. Yeah. It, it urges people to abstain from wicked wealth, uh, which defiles. Yeah. And, yeah. and just what you, I fully agree with what you were saying, Scott, and how today uh, Christians are richer um, and more well-off than, than, than in history. And, um, and I think it comes from 
living in in a world um, where you see all these successes and you see uh, you know the big houses and you kind of you kind of want that stuff. You know, it, it creates kind of a um, you know you, you, some people call it the American dream and and stuff like that. Um, and you want to attain a certain status. You want to look a certain way uh, culturally. Um, I know sometimes when you when you go out and you go to church, especially at my church, um, people like to put put on nice clothes and dress nice nicely, and especially the pastors and stuff like that, um, and suits and things like that. You you want you want God's best or what we would call God's best um, for us, and sometimes. Those things they cost money. They cost they they cost all these different things. But when you look at like the world and how they how they get those things and how they attain those things, you don't want to get um, you don't want to get caught in the trap where you're trying to attain wealth uh, just to be like the yeah. world or to look yeah. like the world. Um, yeah. it, it urges in in Psalms thirty seven. Uh, verse seven, it says, be still in, in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Um, and, and, and this, he tells us a lot. There's different verses in the Bible that says, don't worry. In fact, in our parable, it says, uh, don't worry about what to eat or drink. And it's not necessary not to be concerned or, or to be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Negligent. Well, yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's not to be negligent, but it, it, those things shouldn't dominate uh, your thoughts on on you know what you attain or how you look or what you have. Um, you know, all the, it says in verse thirty of uh, the parable: these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But the Father already knows your needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and just like you were saying in Matthew three, if you seek the seek the kingdom, all those things will be added. So if you have faith to believe and trust in God that His promises won't uh will come to pass, then you don't have then you don't have to worry. Not being negligent, but you don't have to worry and have those things dominate your thoughts. Very good. All right, now here's um, uh, I think these are the that's the Jewish world. I don't think what Jesus said or what Jesus did stood out as weird or wild. I think people would have said, yeah, Jesus is a very serious Jewish type, uh, prophet type leader, charismatic kind of guy. Uh, this is this is Jewish stuff to the core, although he did demand people to follow him in a way that was unlike other people. But um, I, I wonder, I wonder about how this parable relates to us. You know, I teach at, at Northern Seminary, and you two are students at Northern Seminary, and we charge tuition, and you pay <laughs> tuition, and we pay salaries. But, um, you know, this is a kind of school that only exists because of the generosity of other Christians. You know, the, uh, the presidents don't send money to us. We don't get taxes. Uh, uh, you know, people don't, uh, the government doesn't support our institution. Um, so over years, I have been very grateful for the generosity of Christians. And it comes out of parables like this. But one time John Wesley made this statement, and I, I'm quoting what I think is what he said, but it, 
if it's not the exact words, it's really close. He said something like this, and I'm going to ask both of you to respond. And I know Kevin, who's uh, teaching at a Christian school or leading a Christian school, um, uh, can have special angle on this. But John Wesley said this about money and Christians. Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And I, I think that's it's pretty brilliant. Uh, and I wonder how both of you would respond to that idea. And uh, because this parable basically is saying to you and to me and to Chaz, he's saying, uh, Jesus is saying, uh, what I really want to know is if your life is oriented toward how much you get in this world and if your life or if your life is rich toward God. And I wonder if you think John Wesley's statement is a good way of... Uh, expressing what Jesus said and how you would tell Christians how to live out this parable. So uh, I don't know who wants to go first. Somebody jump in. I'll chime in. Um, yeah. <clears throat> just thinking about what John Wesley said and, uh, and just looking at the parable and just think about, in a, um, as I think about in a parable that, you know, the land brought forth the crops, you know, he didn't, he didn't work hard for it, but it was a gift in a sense. Uh, it, it was provided towards him and and the man was in a place of decision you know he had to think about what to do with it and it the decision his, he made really showed where his heart was because he didn't make a decision to be benevolent and and give and you know help others but yep. he made a decision to store it up to himself so yep. you know to me that says you know having it you know, being blessed with it, it being given to you, uh, whatever way is not a bad thing. You know, the possessions in itself is not a bad thing. It's his decision making on what to do with the wealth uh, was that's where he became a fool. And you so know, he so for a John Wesley, he made all he could and he right. saved all he could and he gave nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's that last piece. He didn't give all he could. <laughs> you know, he he was doing so well up until the that he made the, that decision. Yeah, um, that's good. That's good, yeah. Kevin. I think so, that's a great observation uh, about the, you know, the fact that the crops came from God, and that that's yeah. that's the beginning problem of his perspective. And you know, I think I've heard in this this parable preached before, um, the fact that this guy's problem wasn't saving. I mean, saving, like John Wesley said, and, you know, we, we look through a number of other different biblical texts, is a very clear principle that is important. And his problem wasn't saving, but he didn't incorporate God into his life. And like Kevin just said, make the right decision of generosity and yeah. um, and using it in the right way. So, um, yeah, that's good. It reminds me of a Dave Ramsey illustration. Actually, he, he talks about like, um, money is like a brick. It's amoral. There's um, there's nothing inherently good or bad about it. And you could take a brick and you could do a lot of 
bad things. I mean, you could throw it at somebody's car or you could throw it through somebody's window and really create destruction. Or if you have a lot of bricks, you can use them for something good, like build a hospital or, you know, do do provide some really good necessary thing for for people who are in need. And so I think that's a a good way to to look about this too. And I wonder, uh, as a school administrator, I mean, do you do you have to raise money as well? Yes, we we have to raise money. Um, That's a a key part to getting a lot of things we need. For example, I have students without socks. I have students without book bags. I have students who can't afford school supplies. So the only way we can uh, raise, you know, I have close to 500 students. So the only way that we can uh, provide for them for some of those students is through the generosity of, of others. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there's plenty of businesses um, like McDonald's, um, McDonald owners, they, they come together and they provide a, provide a bus with 200 book bags with school supplies and things like that. So the only way that we can meet our child's need holistically, now we can teach them, but if they're hungry and don't have school supplies, the teaching is only going to go so far. So. Yeah. We, we, we depend heavily on um, generosity of community members. Without our community donations, we will not be able to do the very thing that we are commissioned to do, and that's um, teach our students, because they're not available to learn when they're hungry or in need. So, uh, Kevin, we- uh, uh, I, uh, we're going to put on the uh, website, or Chaz is, um, the address and um, someplace where we can, someone could contact you and and support your school. But tell us uh, where you're teaching uh, and the name of the school, et cetera, so that at this point people will know what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah, my school is in Hazelcrest, Illinois, um, South Suburban. We're a Title I school, meaning that um, most of our students, um, a good majority of our students, um, uh, fall at or below the poverty line. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's May Jemison Elementary in Hazelcrest. Um, so uh, we are largely uh, uh, a minority student student body. I uh, mean, we have uh, plenty of um, black and brown students. We have, we have diversity, but it's mostly um, black and brown students who are at or below the poverty line. Okay. Uh, and uh, so uh, this parable... Uh, is almost like uh, the backbone of benevolence and generosity for your school. And, and this calls Americans with abundance, with savings, to think of how they can help uh, someone like you and your students in Hazelcrest. Very good. Joe, uh, you have any, uh, any thoughts? We're getting near the end of our time here. Um. Just just to kind of hit on on what was said about those three elements, making all you can, um, saving all you can and giving all you can uh, really, really brings together um, what we should be looking for or what should we strive to do in our life Um, without all three of those elements at work. Um, then we can really fail to see the big picture, as we kind of stated earlier, uh, which is um, not not the not the, t- the totality or the ending of this life, but the next life. Mm-hmm. Uh, really looks for it. What we do now stores up. Uh, in fact, in 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 thirty four, 
uh, it says, wherever your treasure is, the desire there are the desires of your heart will also be. So, so if I store my treasure and if I never give, um, you know, yep. here on this earth, then my treasure is on this earth, and my heart and the desires of my heart are on this earth, and it's yep. not looking towards heaven. Yeah. Um, the the frailty the frailty of this life. It, it in twenty eight it says, if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers. Uh, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. That's like us. Like we're like flowers to God. Like he He cares for us. He gives us what we need here. He gives us over and above sometimes what we need here. Mm-hmm. And if we make all that that we can and we save it, um, for example, tomorrow night I'll be speaking and leading a worship night um, where we have two priorities. Well, our first our first priority is to encounter God Um and to have a, a real experience with God, to, to, to feel him. Our second priority is to give to those who have been affected by the recent hurricanes and earthquakes all over the nation, um, in our nation particularly, but all over the world. And we're doing that through two, two efforts, two joint efforts, one with World Vision, who is an organization that mm-hmm. uh, does a great job um, looking, uh, inter- interceding and and uh leading recovery efforts, uh, relief efforts all over the all over the world. And they're working in Puerto Rico. They're working in in um, in Haiti and and um, in Cuba, uh, where where, you know, those hurricanes have recently hit. Um, but we're also working with local churches in Houston uh, because the, the recovery time is it, not just for a week. Sometimes oh, we man. a disaster like this yeah. and then it'll be out of sight, out of mind within two weeks. Um, I know. And, and that the the disaster, you know, the f- hurricane that then started ripping through Florida. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking those poor people in Houston, they still need a lot of help. Let's not divert all of our energy now toward Florida. We need both of these. So your church is is working towards supporting them. Absolutely. And Good. so Good. so through through two joint efforts, we're going to be raising and asking for monetary donations uh, to give all that we can in worship. Uh, to God and give all that we can in support of those people uh, that that are in need. Um, we're we're really looking to be the answer to their prayers. Um, wow. Even though even though we're a small church and we and we, we'll we'll make a small contribution in in light of the larger contribution that uh, that the world is giving or that the nation is giving, we still want to be a part of the answer to the prayers yeah. of those people. Uh, that are deeply affected by those hurricanes, those natural disasters. So those three elements really, really help to store up it, in verse 33. It really helps to store up the treasure uh, for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. That's what That's we're good. looking for. You know, um, I'll close uh, with this. The Apostle Paul um, saw the destitution of the saints or the Jerusalem Christians uh, in Judea because of famines and everything else. And he went on a mission. And I think for most of his uh, public mission throughout Asia Minor and Greece, Paul was raising funds for the poor saints of Jerusalem. Uh, There are some who think he only did it for a few years, but one of the great, uh, but I, I think it was most of his life, one of the great lines that the Apostle Paul makes is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he says um, that he wants there to be equality 
so that your abundance might make up for what they lack in Jerusalem. And then he says, maybe someday their abundance will come back and support a supply for your lack. And he appeals to the manna story. The manna story of Exodus becomes critical for Paul's understanding of how Christians are to care for one another. And that is when we realize that we have abundance and we have abundance, uh, we have to say, I'm going to cut back on how I live. I am going to live well below my budget as much as I can so that I can have money and funds and resources to help those who do not have what they need. So the Apostle Paul's strategy was for us to become people of generosity. You cannot be generous if you're spending every dime you get or the dimes you haven't even gotten yet. And so Paul uh, was living out the parable that Jesus teaches on the rich fool by saying, no, we're not going to store up things uh, so that we can have more. We're going to make and we're going to save, but we're going to give as well. So I want to thank Joe and Kevin and Chaz. Uh, for your contributions on this parable and for this lively discussion about the importance of Christians being generous, and that um, today we we came up with a a potential place of giving in our own in our own circle here at Kevin's school in Hazelcrest, and we'll have the information for that on the website, and uh, hope that um, maybe some people in our audience will see the value of supporting uh, impoverished children in the south side of Chicago. So I want to thank you two guys for for helping us out. And it's over to Chaz now for uh, what he has to say. Thanks, Kevin and Joe. Thanks. No problem. And I hope you, uh, again, as our listeners, enjoyed this episode and thankful, as always, to have you with us and um, just were challenged as I was about answering that question, how are you using the abundance that God has given you? And uh, I know our hope for you is that if you've heard this and and were challenged by this episode of really how the kingdom was built and how the kingdom took root through the generosity of its people, that uh, the kingdom will continue to take root through all of you and how you are using your generosity of the things that God has given you. So um, again, as Scott mentioned, I'm going to include in the show notes in the description Kevin's contact so you can reach out to him if you're interested. But um, thanks again for joining us. We'll look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 